What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Welcome to episode 44 of the Disruptors for Good podcast. Today, we're going to chat with Chami Akmimana, the CEO of Blockchain Learning Group and his technology company, Convergence, on how he and his team are using blockchain uh, to impact lives around the world through a few initiatives with the United Nations, um, then also with the Canadian government and some other entities and governments. And what makes Chami's story is so interesting is that he did not come from a, a sort of tech roadmap background, right? He started off as, you know, a real academic and he wanted to be sort of a teacher, a professor that was sort of where his his life was being taken. He was on a course to get a PhD in bioceramic engineering and he forgoed that to be a police officer with the London Metropolitan Police Force. So, and you know, it, it's it's a very abnormal pathway to to become a uh, sort of tech founder and CEO, especially in the in the land of blockchain and and everything that that incurs. So, it's a really fascinating conversation about what this technology is going to do for the world, not only for people living in extreme poverty, but also people living in the working class and the middle class and the upper class. It's going to change the way we all live. So I was super excited to talk to him and we get into a bunch of different stories about what in his, what him and his team is up to and what the future looks like in, in sort of a blockchain economy and, and a blockchain world. Um, it's very, very interesting. So hope you guys enjoy the conversation. As always, you can get in touch with me at grant at causeartist.com. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Have a great week and we'll talk soon. Bye. The, the first thing I usually like to do is start with an individual's journey on how they sort of get to where they are now and yours is it's quite interesting having a PhD in bioceramic engineering and then being a police officer then starting and exiting tech companies and now the CEO of a of a blockchain company uh, doing some really interesting things in social impact so uh, tell us a little bit about how that roadmap occurred yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I actually part completed the PhD. So my, my PhD at the time was around uh, uh, 3D printing of bioceramics uh, okay. for facial implants. And I never thought I would come uh, be uh, be here where I am because I was uh, actually pursuing a very academic path, uh, teaching maths and physics at university. Right. Uh, and a couple of, couple of things events happened in my life at the time and uh, decided to be a police officer. That that was quite a pivotal moment in my life because my life at, up until that moment was quite planned out. Uh, and I think that that kind of led to the changes that have occurred since, uh, you know, uh, working as a policeman in the UK, um, moving to Australia, I decided I actually didn't want to do either mm-hmm. be an engineer nor, nor a policeman. Uh, and I had to figure out very quickly what I was going to be as a, as a new immigrant uh, in a country uh, where they didn't recognize any of your skills from from wherever you came. So I decided, okay, well, let me have a crack at business because I come from a family of business and um, it was something that I had often thought about but never had the courage to to take the leap. Uh, so being forced into a new country, uh, I was actually uh, compelled to, do, to take that path. And uh, it was interesting because I, I kind of looked at identifying gaps in the market, what, what I could be good at. Uh, my journey started off in the coffee business, uh, then went on to clothing, uh, subsequently recruiting, uh, and then more recently uh, invested in, in, the, in the field of analytics. Um, I stumbled across blockchain many years ago when I came across Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through the, through the exit of my last company, I was actually uh, uh, taking a break uh, in Canada, so kind of traveling back and forth between Australia and, and uh, uh, Toronto, and uh, which was when, I, as I mentioned, just came across Bitcoin. And like, this is interesting. So I was researching into it. 
met the, a couple of the founders of Ethereum, and I was really impressed with what uh, what Ethereum could could mean for the mm-hmm. world. Right. Uh, and it was during this time that I was uh, asked to do a couple of pro- uh, projects for uh, one initiative in Canada was the Global Risk in- uh, Institute, which was an initiative run by, which was founded by one of Mark Carney's initiatives. Uh, that was actually looking at the risk of fintech in the financial services sector. And I really uh, kind of honed in on blockchain at the time and no one was taking it seriously. And I even, even found uh, one <laughs> chief risk officer of a big bank fall asleep at a meeting when we right. were talking blockchain. Uh, <laughs> so I thought, you know, this is a, there's something here. It's probably, finance is probably not the space to look at. But then I, I was a headhunter to uh, to help create the Launchpad, which is a fintech initiative created by the Ontario Securities Commission. Uh, so I helped with that initiative. And that through that, I actually got to see a lot of regulatory lens and why uh, certain things are not uh, embraced uh, as as the market expected it to be. So I kind of got a really good lens of the regulator's view and and what the market's view and and the, I guess the the disconnect between between the the two. Uh, but at the time, I also met Joseph Lubin um, and we had discussions about what I could do for uh, consensus at the time and decided to help them uh, for a few months. Uh, that went on for a for a long period of time. Uh, but this is when I actually identified a gap in the market being education, because at the time, um, you know, almost three and a half years ago, uh, there was a lot of uh, overhype and total skepticism of the technology and, mm-hmm. and not a lot in between uh, by way of uh, actual work being done in the space. So, uh, and, and the, only thing, the, only, the only inhibitor to that I found was uh, education. So we uh, decided to spin off a, a company very quickly. It was meant to be a very small venture just focus on educating educating the blockchain sector. And that was very, it was quite a unique model. Um, you know, we'd go into an organization, we'd help them ideate and, and sprint prototypes in a very short period of time. Uh, and that was really well received. And, and that's how, I guess, uh, the company came about. I mean, that's how my journey came about to, to where I am today. And uh, looking back, it's been fantastic. So every facet, every, every piece of experience, every person that I've known over the last couple of decades of, have certainly helped me uh, shape who I am uh, as a person, but also uh, as a company, how we've how we've evolved and identified and continuously identify gaps in the market and uh, and position ourselves has certainly helped us as well. Yeah, the the one thing about the market that's interesting is that you know you could be in a meeting with with billion dollar banks, right? And you say they they might kind of roll their eyes or fall asleep, but if you go to you know a really rural area in a developing country and around the world and you speak with them. What's the reaction there? Because that seems to seems to be where sort of a lot of the the beta testing is sort of happening with um, with the company now. I guess it, you could call it supply chain, but I don't know if you, if it's much just more simpler than that, right? It's sort of just payments and and, and just tracking inventory. I think it's kind of uh, this kind of goes back to the education part of like how do things work, right? Like how do you go from talking to a, a big bank about this? And that just this just goes to the flexibility of what blockchain does, right? You can. It, it, there's something for a, a massive financial company, but then there's also something for a farmer in rural India or rural Africa, right? So can you kind of can you kind of explain what the the conversations are like when you talk with these massive companies versus 
these very small rural villages about how this piece of technology could change their life. I think uh, two two things to note on that. Uh, I guess inventions, innovative society comes from from necessities, right? So when mm-hmm. when markets are comfortable, uh, if it's monopolies or duopolies, uh, really controlling the market, and and there's no need to change uh, right. or innovate, you don't see any any ecosystem changing uh, for no reason because they see it as a as a cost factor for them. Whereas in markets where you really have to hustle, I mean, you have to hustle to pretty much live your life and uh, right. you know you have no electricity so you really have to figure out how you're gonna uh, get your neighbor's electricity or, or or tap into the national grid or you have no water how are you going to tap into that water kind of scenario that that really this necessity this uh, adversity forces people to be creative and innovative uh, so they look at various ways so it could be a I guess an advancement of a current technology or, or brand new technology because they really want to look at leapfrogging, and that's why we're seeing more of the developing world latching on to these types of technologies. Uh, I mean, it's not just blockchain; it, it could be any other technology. But mm-hmm. what, one of the the things that I do love about blockchain is prior to blockchain, we weren't looking at how we were going to solve world problems using technology. Uh, you know, AI is fantastic; it's certainly got its place. But in the absence of data, you you don't you can't really mm-hmm. do anything with AI. Right. So in comes blockchain. I mean, the block, blockchain at the beginning promised to change the entire world uh, from world hunger to all sorts of things. But at least, at the very least, people started talking about the technology, combining technology to a social problem. And I think that's what I'm really grateful for, for what's come out of this. Uh, but now, fast forward several years, there's much bigger issues that, that need to to be solved and, and solving for world uh, world hunger or you know, lack of water or whatnot is technology is one component and there's many other components that need to come together. So I think uh, in our case, when we started the, the business, uh, we were focused on Australia and Canada. And it still is uh, is, is a focus for us to, to, to look at solutions and optimizing various business process and whatnot in, in the developed world. But there's far more opportunity in the developing world, you know, you know, countries that we that we've certainly spent a lot of time in, uh, in Afghanistan, in India, uh, Mongolia. Uh, we've been to Peru recently. Countries like Nigeria, Sri Lanka, even. Uh, there's a lot of lot of appetite to to make things better and, and different. Because at the end of the day, for us too, it's quite fulfilling because everything that we would do would impact right down to the citizen. Um, so supply chain is certainly one component of what we focus on. And then the other component of it, if it is uh, identity and all facets around identity. So mm-hmm. between the two, we, we think, I mean, uh, there are many things where technology could play a role in the developing world and the developed world. But I think certainly identity is, is fundamental. Um, you know, appropriate payment systems where we're not paying exorbitant amounts of fees uh, every time you withdraw cash or you send some money to uh, to your friends and family uh, and and transparent supply chain systems so that you know exactly where your uh, inventory comes from where whatever you consume comes from is it ethically sourced right uh, i think these are the things that we are quite passionate about and and hope to solve uh, as best we can I like to look at things in, in sort of real world examples, because I think it gives a clear idea of, of how systems sort of work. So if we could maybe give like a real world example of um, something you guys worked in in Afghanistan, or I know the, the Kashmir farmers in, in Mongolia was the, the sort of the, the big one that got some some press. And then there was land rights in India. So there's, you could see some of these examples popping up. Can you give us like a, a sort of a clear example from like, what does it look like to do like land rights in India or 
the Mongolian farmers in in uh, for cashmere? Like, what is what is the actual steps to even get that started? What does that look like when you knock on a door in a village and be like, "Hey, uh, we got this new thing called blockchain. Do you want to use it to?" <laughs> you know, like it, it has to be some type of disconnect initially, right? Right, right. So we've been fortunate in that we had great partners uh, that we worked with. So uh, UN Development Program, uh, various government agencies that we initially had contact with. I mean, more recently, uh, we've had a few more uh, conversations through our Trade Commission as well. Uh, but certainly in the very early days, uh, the UN uh, agencies were quite keen to see uh, what role blockchain could play play a role in that? So there was a the the pitch was already started by these agencies, and then it's, it was a matter of us actually being on the ground because it was very easy to uh, to solution anything uh, being in in the comfort of of an office in Canada, right, right. Uh, and then <laughs> and then you arrive on the ground and you every single piece of document that you you uh, you formed to uh, to create this solution goes out the window because for various reasons right so designing for a, a I guess a military type of system in Afghanistan is one thing but when you go there and it's an actual war zone uh, and there's uh, restrictions on where you can go what what a what a policeman could do what uh, type of uh, information they could carry what type of equipment they could carry uh, this really uh, hinders the process um, and it's the same with I mean, India and I guess I'll, I'll speak to India and Mongolia in this instance arriving on the ground uh, and understanding the deep issues uh, really makes it you know make, makes it a real problem because now you, you've got to figure out okay hang on the technology will certainly solve for what it's meant to solve uh, but what needs to happen at a program level what needs to happen so that even if you've implemented the best solution, how is an individual going to be using it? Are there is there, are there incentives for them to use it? Do they have the right infrastructure in place? Mm-hmm. So I think you know if if you look at um, you know almost eighty to eighty five percent digital transformation fails even with the best funding, and these could be the topmost banks uh, spending billions of dollars on their digital transformation right. uh, and to uh, a small government in in Tunisia to uh, to Afghanistan. A lot of this fails because they don't follow the right process, and it's often people and culture. So for us, we very early on decided we didn't want to be a a pure technology-focused company, and we really wanted to be a a company that really understood people and culture, how to manage that, that change, because often if you don't manage that change process, you're going to have a, go through a plethora of issues whereby even with the best, uh, most optimal solution, people are not going to use it. Uh, so I think that that was the biggest learning for us. Uh, and, and this, you know, we started experiencing this pretty much from day one when we started working with uh, with various countries uh, a couple of years ago. So we've also managed to refine and, uh, you know, when we go to market, we our approach is very different. Uh, you know, there's cultural differences. How do you understand the different cultures, the different people? There's the political, the politics of it, and then there's the bureaucracy of it, uh, and whatnot. So the conversations very early on are less of the technology and more so about us really understanding the problems at heart, and then designing for this uh, through our solution. But then talking to them through. Uh, very layman's terms, a uh, very business kind of government type of language as opposed to the more technological language, which is how we started, uh, I guess, our very, very first couple of initiatives. And, and we learned very, very early on that we need to change our language as well and, and our approach. So, you know, land rights, for example, 
uh, I can't remember which, uh, if it is Harvard Business Review or, or which other organization that wrote a, a, a quite a good paper on uh, the one of the biggest inhibitors of economic growth in most countries uh, is the lack of true ownership of land titling. Mm. So when people don't know if they actually own the piece of land, they're less likely to cultivate the land, they're less likely mm. to do any improvements on the land. Someone comes and grabs that land, you know, there's so many complications. So in the developing world, this is the single biggest uh, inhibitor. And, you know, they've tried various different systems uh, over the last several years. And many have failed because you're still, at the end of the day, it's a centralized system that can be, uh, you know, you pay someone 100 to 200 bucks and you bribe them to change a record in your system. Um, and this is not just unique to the, the developing world. It does happen in the developed world too, but not, not to the extent of it. So this, I mean, for us, solving for this is is quite uh, near and dear because we've certainly, I mean, I've certainly experienced people that have had their land grabbed and, and experienced um, you know, financial downturn because of this. So this, it was an easy sell uh, for, a, for, a, for, I guess, from a people perspective because people then see the journey of their of their transactions. Uh, from a government perspective, depending on how governments position themselves, it was a different uh, piece of a conversation. Uh, but it's also important. I mean, we're, we're obviously doing a good job, an honest job of creating good solutions to solve uh, people's problems. But we do, we did realize very early on that we need to spin the solution to the different stakeholders because they each want different things out of it. And if one person is key to that solution uh, and they don't, they don't like the fact that you, you, you know, this is a decent centralized tamper-proof solution, meaning that there cannot, they cannot be, there, there can be zero corruption in this system, what would that right. mean to them? Right. You still got to figure out how you sell, this, spin this solution to them, because at the end of the day, we want the solution to make a, be, a better impact on the citizen. And then the rest of the bureaucracy, uh, we've got to figure out how we spin that off so that we can, at the end of the day, uh, come up with a great solution. Uh, and maybe the, 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 the output of that to the government could be you're generating extra revenue, so you, you don't feel you don't need to have these corrupt systems. Um, you know, people right. It, it, it really sort of makes waste very transparent. Um, that's right, and that's yeah. that's where it's very, very, very powerful. I think once the greatest things that that you and your team does is the education um, behind everything, because that's going to be the most important element to get this at sort of mass scale, where people understand blockchain like they understand like the internet. Right. People, uh, when the internet first came, it was people didn't even know how to surf the web. Right. There's, there's just like, how do I, even stuff like, how do I open a new tab? Right. How do I, what's the www dot mean? Like, <laughs> there's all these different little sort of steps to take. And then, you know, two years later, after using, you know, the internet, like you could do all kinds of things you never thought you could do. Right. So I think we're sort of a little bit at that stage with blockchain where it's, there's a, there's a handful of people that really understand, obviously more than a handful, but like a, a very small sector of the world that really understand it and can build products on it. But then we have, you know, billions of people who kind of scratch their head when you talk, when you talk about it a little bit, just because they don't have it in their hands every day and can't use it and, and these different things. So I think if you can like, explain really at a, at a really elementary level of just how blockchain works and why it can work in basically every sector of society. I think, uh, so, you know, we often get asked this question. I mean, we used to get asked this question a lot, uh, and we attempted to explain it in so many different ways. Right. Uh, and then it, it, each, each response leads to another question that leads <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to more confusion. Uh, so I basically now say it's a different form of a database. I mean, I hate describing it in that way, but it is a different form of a database, you know, much like, you know, when you, in your, in your, in today's world of, 
centralized databases and whatnot, when you have a conversation, no one would question why do you use Oracle, how does right. Oracle work, or how does SAP work in this instance. It's it's a, you understand that the technology would do certain things, and and that's what it would do. And in this case, uh, blockchain is is that you know it, it's a it's a decentralized immutable form of a database that has certain checks and balances in place that a centralized database doesn't, uh, which makes it quite attractive for various solutions. So depending on the solution, uh, there's various properties that could apply for it. In the case of supply chain, which we work on, for example, uh, when you're dealing with multiple stakeholders, I mean, uh, just to take a back step on that, there are many uh, folks that call blockchain for supply chain, uh, what do you call it, a uh, a block washing of sorts. Mm. Uh, so it's an over, overkill. Uh, absolutely right. I think it's it's horses for courses. It depends on the application. Right. Uh, so if the if the application requires multiple trust parties that don't trust each other, that you need to somehow share some sort of data right. uh, with each other, yes, then you do need to have some sort of a, a different system. If you need some level of transparency, I mean, you could do that with a central database, but then that's that's the single organization that's uh, that's created a system with a uh, with a system. So I mean, transparent systems on supply chain have been created. Uh, done over the time with, by various uh, organizations, by various uh, manufacturers. But I think depending on the use case, uh, the different characteristics of, of blockchain would come into play uh, is the best answer. I mean, well, even, the, in, if, even if you Google like 1997, uh, uh, what is the internet question by, <laughs> I can't remember, right? Um, people were st- still struggling to explain what it is and they were right. struggling to explain why there was an app sign. So that's why I always refrain from it. Uh, very early on, I, I always had a crack at it and try to explain it. Um, but I find the more I explain it uh, leads to more confusion. So the simplest way, is it's a different form of a, uh, of a database that uh, does things a little bit more efficiently. Uh, it's not the... It's it's not a centralized or decentralized uh, world. It's I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, if you look at Estonia, for example, Estonians have Estonians have had uh, an ID system that has been enabled by a distributed centralized database. So it's not a, a your typical blockchain kind of scenario, but they've had this for many, many, many years. People didn't really question or ask about the technologies. It served a purpose. People were, were able to interact with their government agencies uh, extremely well, and, and it worked. And then if you look at our typical blockchain that we uh, that we apply today, there's more of a progression from that and on, on the back of uh, a lot more work that has happened since. The one thing that, that kind of happened, I think, early on, especially here, I think, in America, is that blockchain was so synonymous with cryptocurrency and yeah. i think i guess getting like a, a bad rap is, is probably not the the right term to use but i think people kind of looked at crypto and blockchain as the same thing and they kind of lumped them in together and not seeing all the use cases where blockchain could i mean crypto is just one use case right it's just one mm-hmm. thing that can run on blockchain but there's also i mean endless really endless amount of processes that can sort of be implemented in every different business sector across the world, nonprofit sector, I mean, energy sector. But I want to go back to, to your sort of career real quick, because you said coffee, you, you're in and also uh, in the police force. So when you look back now at, at all your sort of knowledge of like, what can blockchain do better for the coffee industry? What can it do better for uh, a police sort of uh, infrastructure and, and agency and, and all the things that go on with, with the police department? Could it help those two things immensely? <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. I think, yeah, so you're, you're very uh, right in that, you know, the, the earliest attention was on crypto, uh, which is which is uh, rightfully so because, you know, Bitcoin came about and this is how the technology yep. evolved into what we're, what we're at, at now. I think uh, if we focus purely on the technology component of it, in, in the coffee side of business, you know, there's various initiatives in place. I mean, we're, we're certainly having conversations with a, a couple of jurisdictions on the traceability of, of coffee beans, um, you know, some countries, some cities, some um, regions pride themselves in their commodities. So, uh, if a certain country prides itself in this in this coffee bean, but in the in the global market, uh, someone uh, another country uh, actually basically makes a uh, claim that this their product comes from this region uh, and right. they were to sell this in the open market or uh, you have no idea if these are ethically sourced you have no idea the, the, the journey of the supply chain of this coffee bean as an example these are things that that needs to be solved uh, blockchain is not the only solution there's various other components of technology that need to come into play to solve for this De- depending on the intricacies of the supply chain of, of coffee for example you would use a component of blockchain or, or not at all or but I mean, in the cases that we're working on, it, it does involve multiple stakeholders. They, they themselves want to have a level of transparency that the, the buyer or uh, the you know wholesale buyers in the open market uh, have a level of transparency. You know, in the case of, I'll just touch on Mongolia, for example, buyer have, has no idea if they're going to get cashmere in, in the season or not, because uh, someone could come and buy all of their cashmere or, or, mm-hmm. or, or not at all. So this this impacts the, the cashmere price as well. So to have some sort of, I mean, you do need any, some sort of technological solution. Blockchain is certainly one that's being considered. And even when we advise or uh, consult with clients, uh, we always insist on, wait, right, absolutely, why do we need blockchain? If, if, if we don't, then it's a simple uh, web-based application and you, you, you tag on a, a database of sorts. Um, so that's where we, I, we personally see blockchain play a role in, in coffee. And then on the back of that, this is more of an advancement of where we see the technology playing a role with companies and their CSR policies and ESG. So ESG is environment, social and governance. So this is where organizations need to report uh, on, a, on an annual basis. It's not mandatory. So organizations kind of ad hoc report, they make up stuff they, they can be honest or dishonest and these opaque supply chain systems uh, right. tend to make it easy for organizations to hide or deliberately or not I mean or not so deliberately as well but the big investors are now starting to look at what ESG ratings or what what your ESG scores like what your ESG reports are like before they start investing and we're seeing I mean um, mm. ExxonMobil lost a, a trillion dollar investor because their ESG scores were that great BlackRock uh, basically uh, come out to say that you know, if you don't have a, a certain gender balance, we're not going to be investing in, in your business. Uh, mm-hmm. And when these big investment companies start making these types of bold statements, you're going to see companies actually like, you know, companies that deal with supply chain systems actually need to then start showing what their journey is, start making these uh, yep. systems transparent. So uh, not everyone has to do it. If someone is doing it better than someone else, I think there will be a, a, a voting power and one could be the investors and the other could be the consumer. Because right now the consumer has no way to figure out is this ethical or not? Uh, how, how am I going to pay for this? Is this a better solution? Do I pay slightly more, etc.? cetera? Uh, and that's in is the there, case of- Is there a blockchain sort of certification of transparency that, is currently out there or something that you guys can create where it is sort of a stamp of approval of authenticity, sort of transparency, and sort of it, it gives it some cachet to a consumer or also to an investor, 
right? That they have been kind of, I mean, look, B Corp is a stamp of approval for like companies, mm-hmm. right? Is there something similar that can be created or is being created for these sort of ESG uh, frameworks? Mm-hmm. So there, so typically a lot of these countries would have certification partners. Uh, the issue is sometimes they collude and, you know, you you still have no idea uh what, what's happening or the data can be tampered with or the, or the data itself is not transparent. So we tend to uh, partner with the certification partners. Uh, there's a lot of vetting that needs to happen. And then, you know, when there's multiple parties involved, uh, it also adds a level of comfort level because you know that there, this needs to go through several parties or adds a level of complexity because now you have to have several people buy in to give this, this certification. Um, so in the case of uh, Mongolia, for example, we work with the Sustainable Fiber Alliance uh, that deal with deep issues on the ground with the herders, uh, but also the certification of, of the, the, the fiber itself. And they would help with the training with the herders, training of the processing plants, uh, and then the certification. We would then put a timestamp, you know, it could be geolocation tagged, etc. There's a whole bunch of features that we add on this timestamp to ensure that whatever that has been uh, approved and sealed uh, now has a, uh, I guess, a journey mapped out. So that's how we would typically typically uh, work with different organizations. It's similar uh, in the coffee industry as well. That those are the conversations that we're having currently. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see when more and more companies start to become become more transparent and eventually sort of you know certified and and sort of transparency in in a way. It's going to be interesting to see when companies don't do it, what the reaction is, because I think we'll get to a point where you will need that stamp of approval. Like you said, it's already happening with just to get investment, right? Just to get, I think it's going to even go further, just to get a person to purchase your product at a very, very small level. I think you're going to need to have some sort of stamp of approval certification from some sort of agency transparent, whether it's ethical, organic, whatever it is. I think there, look, there's a, there's many issues with, with labeling and certification. Um, but I think at the base level of what, what the cause of it is or why it's used is very valuable. And I think mm-hmm. also having transparency in the certification process, right. And all these yeah. certification organizations is huge too, right. That would be maybe the first people that we can enact uh, yeah. the blockchain transparency system into is the people actually certifying people, right. Because it's a lot like government, right. Once the sort of the curtains are open, so to speak, and see how things really work and see, you know, if this is this certification is actually worth its weight, right? That's that's really, really important to a consumer and investors. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I and mean, it's it's not just the, the legal trade of, you know, commodities and, and livestock, but there's the illegal trade uh, as well, right? So uh, how do we how do we curtail illegal timber logging? Um, mm-hmm. How do we curtail um, wildlife? trafficking is 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 a much bigger player than drug trafficking all, hmm. all drug trafficking combined it's not wow. something that we talk about because it's it's not openly discussed um but when we're having discussions with various agencies uh the interpol interpols of the world etc these are big issues that how, how do you you know how do you actually provide a certificate for someone that's carrying a, a pet or a you know, a bird or of of sorts. And then, how do you differentiate between that and something that's been illegally traded? You know, these are these are big issues, and the technology plays one comp- component. But then, you know, when you take away illegal trading from from one side, what does that mean to the society? What does that mean to the community? Right. You know, from a socio economical perspective, what do they then go to? 
right? They, they, exactly. The people, yeah. the, the bad, bad actors go to something else. So you, there's a lot of things that need to be considered. I mean, even in this, the, the case of Coffee Bean, you still need to consider what else that, that you need to do to the, the community to help them uh, get to this stage too. Yeah, it's a little bit kind of with like the, there's a lot of companies trying to find a way to, well, some com- some companies trying to find a way away from like plastic. <laughs> But it's it's also then it's like well there's not just an alternative there yet, <laughs> so yeah, we can't right, just yeah. do it like an instant because then we we won't have any company right then our all employees will have to get laid off right because we can't there's not an alternative right now to mass produce something similar to plastic and it's it's tough because you you want to see them start to divert and maybe invest in different ways like I think Coca Cola is probably a really it's the biggest example, right? So it's one we can look at, mm-hmm. but I think they came out and say like, look, we're not going to change our plastic because the consumer isn't asking for it, right? Like they're, mm-hmm. our consumer buys a ton, a ton of Coke, right? They don't really <laughs> care like what it's in or stuff like that. So he's like, until that changes, like we don't really see a thing to change. It's on the end consumer to recycle their plastic properly, right? Right. Which right. like you can go on all day about, about what that sort of says and, and means. But I think, what they're trying to say is that, look, if you present an alternative to how we can mass produce our product into a more sustainable product than plastic, I think companies will sort of listen, but I don't think they want to take the time to invest in that when they're not seeing consumers not buying their product, right? So it's like they don't have an incentive to do it. And that's the only way things change is when consumers stop buying things or you know tell yeah, companies yeah. like we we care about this and i thought it was an interesting point and i don't know there's a lot of different ways around it and technology plays a, a huge part in in everything i think that we do mm-hmm. and uh it was just it was just interesting when i heard that yeah absolutely and i think the, the one last thing to add is education right so the more educated we are yeah. on beat the journey of supply chain we the lack of a, a good healthcare system an identity system or a payment system uh, you know if we have if we are only used to what we have and we're not educated on what could be right. um, then we have no choice so we 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 go with day-to-day business the average person doesn't really uh, have the means to change the, the systems right so you go about go about uh, your day-to-day life whereas if you can educate the consumer on hey this is the impact of, or the, these are other systems and solutions that you could look at, or this is how you could vote for uh, ethical um, sourcing, uh, and, and you vote with your wallet, right? So uh, right. I think this education component is absolutely key. Uh, the big, big players are, you know, the big investment funds are pushing down. Uh, and then from, uh, I guess, you do need an upstream of consumers that uh, have, a, have been educated and have, have enough choices and options so that they could vote with their wallets too. And I think between the two, uh, we'll see a good balance of, because uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we all want to, to build ethical, honest systems. We want to buy ethically and honest uh, from honest uh, producers and manufacturers. So technology could hopefully enable some of that and give some level of transparency. And I think uh, eventually we hope that, you know, we get to a point where there's enough solutions and options available for this, the citizen, the consumer, the patient, the student uh, to buy with their, uh, their I guess, the, their voting power is a wallet. There seems to be endless sort of examples that you can produce in the developing world because there's just so there's just so many sort of little things you can do to improve life there but mm-hmm. when you talk about maybe north america what are some of the ways that blockchain is being currently implemented or maybe that can be implemented to improve some of the societal issues here 
So I think um, personally, or and even as a company, we're quite excited to see what the government uh, could build because uh, at the end of the day, if government was to optimize and save uh, on uh, you know how the tax dollars are being spent, they would at the end of the day should impact the season because we should then have access to more facilities. We should we should have more funding for. Uh, applications that could impact you as a citizen, uh, and also how you engage with uh, with government, right? So as, as soon as you you realize your driver's license is, is going to expire, or you need a new driver's yes. license, or you need a healthcare card, you're, you're dreading it because you have yes. to go to this very dated office. You have to stand in the queue. You you pretty much set aside two three hours for this this very cumbersome process, and you hope and pray that uh, you have all the documents in place <laughs> to ensure you can yes. do it. Right? It's not an experience that anyone enjoys. Uh, I think these, this is where we see, uh, I mean, initiatives by Canadian government. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing Department of Homeland Security is being uh, taking a quite a quite a lead on this. Uh, they've had a uh, few RFPs out, few grants out. They've been really, uh, really impressive with how they've done very slow control group uh, pilots and whatnot. So I think when you start, when I, if I'm to interact with a government agency and I have to, uh, you know, if I'm on child services, I've got a couple of children and I've got to interact with five different agencies. Often, often the case is they keep asking me for the same pieces of information, um, the same documents that cannot be shared typically because of, of how the systems have been built uh, for private, privacy reasons. But I guess creating this, this these entities where you could interact with agencies, government ministries, quite seamlessly uh, without having to duplicate and triplicate uh, your information. That would really impact how you engage uh, government services. It's a time factor. It's a cost factor that, that you're going to save. Uh, so those are the things that we're seeing exciting uh, that could impact. Uh, then there's uh, much more bigger problems to solve by way of your, 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 your identity, uh, your healthcare records. Um, you know, if I... Typically, the, the, the generation that, that we're seeing growing up now are not going to live in just the one city. They're going to live in several cities, maybe right. move around uh, globally a lot more. I, for one, I travel a lot. I haven't lived in a city longer than a few months at a time. So, you know, I'll see several doctors or several specialists for various back injuries that I have. Every time I see someone, I have to start again from scratch. Right. I'm exploring right. my, my journey, right? So I, I'm, I'm excited to see, hopefully, down the track where you have some level of self-sovereign <clears throat> governance around your data. So I have ownership and control of my data to, to a great extent uh, that is essential data to myself or not even some non-essential data to myself that I could port with me. Uh, one of the things that uh, we are working on is around uh, credentials. So it seems like quite a simple application. But, you know, if you think of high school, college, university, you go through these, uh, these various education um, uh, stages of your life and then you decide to apply for a job and now they need this credential verified. Now you want to travel overseas, this needs to come in a sealed envelope. Right. Now there's the whole level of fraud, this level of lack of portability, etc. And this is a billion dollar problem that, that the industry is, is trying to solve uh, and that's something that we're looking at tackling. You know, how, can, can this lead to a different model of education as well, right? So you're typically going to a university and then you apply for a job but what what happens if it's uh, if it's a uh, some sort of qualification that doesn't require you to do a four year or a three year uh, classroom, whereas you could you could acquire these skills and experience by way of online education, which is often free these days. Uh, but then the rest of it comes through uh, continuous learning on the job. Um, so I think these are business models that are being impacted and changed. So these are things that I think 
uh, I mean, we're certainly passionate about to see um, uh, impact you as, a, as I mentioned earlier, a patient, a citizen, a student. And then, of course, from the corporate sector, there are various applications that are being built out. I'm not sure what the implication would be uh, to you as a consumer. Are these savings going to be passed down to you or, right. or is the savings coming to you by way of a, 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 an ease of ease of using their systems? So there's various, I think, uh, certainly in the government sector, we know exactly where it impacts, how right. it impacts. Uh, with the corporate sector, it's yet to be seen how, how it's going to impact you as a as an someone that as a stakeholder of the system it'll certainly impact internal systems within large corporates for sure yeah yep. uh, but then it's a matter of how that is passed on to you as a consumer hopefully in next year's election we'll see candidates run on using blockchain to eliminate waste in the government and that then will 10x your tax return um, <laughs> that's a good platform to run on to get a lot of votes because <laughs> it will yeah. eliminate a ton a ton of of waste right and sort of overspending because journalists will then have access to all the data of where every single dollar was spent and how it was spent and where it's going and they will be able to uncover the waste very quickly and in governments too right i mean they can also look at the analytics and the data and see how they can do things better and more efficiently and not waste Mm -hmm. a ton of money and then obviously that'll get hopefully return to the taxpayer. And then, you know, everybody's happy, I think. See, blockchain mm-hmm. can can enhance the world very, very it, can, it can unite us all. <laughs> it, it can. I think, I think, uh, I think very early on, I, I, I mentioned, at the very least, it's brought this conversation of social problems uh, to the table. Um, we, we, yes, we did talk about water. We, yes, we did talk about hunger. Yes, we did talk about, um, you know, migrants and, you know, how you, how you verify them and whatnot. But as a result of blockchain, because it's not, you know, your typical technological solution is very technological. Right? It, it, in the case of blockchain, there's the technology component, there's the philosophical component of it. Uh, and now you're trying to add, a, I guess you're trying to solve a business problem using technology. You're kind of adding a, a different lens to it, right? So a different business logic to to a technology. So I think that that's the, the most fascinating thing about this technology is that it's really unearthed every deep social issue. Uh, and granted, I mean, most of it is not going to be solved by a pure blockchain. None of it is going to be solved by a pure blockchain solution. It'll be a combination of various solutions and process change and whatnot. But we're still we're talking about it as a result of this. Uh, so I think uh, depending on the use case and and even supply chain, you could take two coffee plantations uh, in two different parts of the world that may require two completely different systems, and one may not even require a blockchain system because it's it, it, you're dealing with a different ecosystem. Right. Um, so that that is, I think, it, it's important to, to know that it is very use case specific. It's very I mean, geographical, it's the appetite, it's, a, it's, it's the philosophy of, of the local community and the government as well, and, and the interest of the government. So it, it certainly is a very powerful t- tool, uh, but it's a very small component of it, is, is what I want to stress. Yeah, I want to go back to one thing you said a little bit earlier. We'll kind of, we'll kind of Andy here, or start to wrap it up here. Um, we'll see where it goes. But <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you, you spoke about Ethereum earlier, and how that was sort of one of the things that really gauged your interest on what sort of blockchain can do. Can you speak a little bit about what Ethereum is compared to, I think that sometimes it's hard to to look at because Ethereum is traded kind of like a currency like Bitcoin is and like Litecoin and there's all these different cryptocurrencies, but then Ethereum also can morph into something else where you could sort of use it in 
a corporate setting too, or use it to build other platforms too. Cause I think it's very, it's very not confusing to me, but it's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine others would, would feel the same when they're first hearing Ethereum, like what is it right mm -hmm. compared to everything else? So I guess mm -hmm. what perked your interest about Ethereum and how maybe is it different than, than some of the other processes? It's not too dissimilar to, I mean, Bitcoin too uh, is being used. Uh, so uh, the Bitcoin actual network, all the online technology is being used to build out various solutions. I, I do know of a, 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 a form of an identity company, mm. a form of a, a land registry that's using the underlying technology with Bitcoin too. Gotcha. Um, so <clears throat> whereas Bitcoin has always just attracted the, the investors that look to to the crypto benefits of it. I mean, I, uh, right. when Bitcoin actually came about, it was solving for uh, the double spend problem of the financial services sector. You know, the, the yep. markets collapsed because there was double, triple spending. There's, there's, there's no um, real intrinsic value to money as it, as the world was seeing it because you kind of packaging up debt, bad debt, you know, in an open yep. market and then selling it off. Whereas yep. Bitcoin was hopefully uh, was was hopeful in that sense that it could solve for uh, some solu some some real world problems. I mean, Bitcoin is powerful in markets where uh, the inflation is you know several hundred thousand to over a million in countries like Venezuela where the, the money has no value. Right. Uh, and right. Bitcoin seems to hold that value in markets that have really collapsed like Venezuela, Zimbabwe and, and various mm -hmm. other countries. <clears throat> Whereas with Ethereum, uh, you know, that's Ethereum came about where where you looked at this whole notion of smart contracts. Uh, right. And applying that into business so there is the crypto component of it um, people are less focused on that getting less focused on that as we as we progress so there's that crypto side of it uh, that enables a, a, a gas fee to enable a transaction that would uh, that would enable you to to post a, a sort of a time stamped uh, event on a public blockchain that but that's the extent of the crypto side of things uh, broader part of it where so that's the extent of it and where we're more excited about uh, ethereum is how it enables certain other types of uh, business process to be changed by way of a technological advancement so that's where we're we're more focused certainly on the underlying technology and what that could do uh, we we're not ethereum uh, specific i mean certainly with some of our applications we use ethereum and then with some applications mm -hmm. we use um, hyperledger uh, and then in with, with our some of our identity work, we use Hyperledger Indie, et cetera, as well. Gotcha. What? Okay, this is. I promise this will be the last question. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> what are you looking forward to? What make get you excited for the rest of like this year and maybe like five years down the road? Like, what what industries do you see really benefiting from blockchain, and what are you guys excited to to really be working on? Mm -hmm. uh, selfishly, uh, we want to see government really. Yeah. Uh, embrace some of this because this would uh, impact me uh, personally uh, and impact the people that we interact with, uh, our team. Uh, and at the end of the day, we've got into this because we really want to impact uh, change across the world, be it the developing world, uh, but also the developed world which we, which we live in. Uh, so I think government, absolutely. Uh, education is certainly ripe for, for disruption. Uh, I hate the word disruption, but it is certainly uh, due for, for a long uh, overdue change. Uh, so I think by way of credentialing, that could lead to different frameworks and whatnot. I'm uh, quite excited to see the education sector change. Um, supply chain as a, as a broad industry, uh, because I want to know where what I consume comes from uh, and if I could reward you know, good actors, uh, if someone's providing, working hard and they're providing 
good, honest inventory for me to consume. Um, and I have a way of uh, either rewarding or at the very least knowing where it comes from. Uh, I think I think that's uh, that's one great thing, advancement for, for me. You know, it's disturbing if, uh, just a quick example, we met with the uh, Minister of Fisheries uh, not too long mm -hmm. ago and we were talking about fish and, and he said uh, he actually doesn't know a, a huge percentage of the fish where, where they come from. Uh, where they come from and if they're rightly labeled. So we might even be eating fish that we have no idea. It's been labeled as something. It, it's been labeled as coming from somewhere in uh, in Canada and it, and it it is this fish, but in fact, a big percentage of it is not. So that's, it's, it is disturbing because I didn't realize this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, between government, education, this, and then I guess, uh, describing an actual process, which is a supply chain in the, as an industry, which applies to, to various uh, industries. I think those are what I'm quite excited about. Uh, but then, of course, finance. I mean, finance is yeah. is what the way the, makes the world go round. And <clears throat> we go to countries where, you know, every time you have to withdraw some money, you're paying 5 to $20 in fees. Uh, if, if I have to withdraw wow. $50, I'm still paying $5 in fees. And and that's just us coming from a, from a different country. And you can imagine people in in local country and they're still having to pay uh, exorbitant fees. People that move to countries to work as uh, maids or nurses or various labor or even uh, more professional uh, professionals working as engineers and, and doctors and nurses and whatnot. They're sending money to back to home country and a big, you know, a significant, significant portion of that is, is taken in fees. So I think finance absolutely might take a bit longer because of uh, I guess the regular the regulatory yep. frameworks that need to change too. You know, these between between these few things, I think I'm quite excited to see uh, how we could play a real role in this. Uh, end of the day, our, our legacy is to be able to look back and go, yeah, this business model or this process has been uh, enabled because we played a you know 0.1 percent of of a role in it. Uh, hopefully, a lot more than that. Uh, but even if it's just looking back and going, yep, uh, we we help make this world a better place. Uh, sounds cliche. But I think that's that's why we are here. Um, we have a, a good social conscience, which is why we work on good social projects. Um, but we also have a good understanding of technology, and I think using the two, uh, we can really do good yep. good work. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, Chami. Great talking to you. Thanks, really, Likewise, I mean, thank you so much. Yeah, this stuff really interests me. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, you know explain it <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. in in a very easy to understand method. And I think that's part of what is needed is uh is sort of the education behind it and then we can the creative people and the entrepreneurs can start building you know appropriate businesses on top of it and start to really disrupt a lot of industries that that they're currently in so i appreciate it absolutely thank you so much grant